Last week, I ran a sale on Major Gift Millions, and I've gotten several messages this weekend from people wanting to know the details about the sale, and they didn't realize that they've already missed it. And so I didn't talk about this on the podcast uh, last week, and so I know there are a ton of you who missed out on the sale, and I've decided to extend it one more week. So here's the deal. Uh, I am coming up on paternity leave. I'm taking off eight weeks once our twins are born. And in order to help fund my paternity leave, I'm doing a massive sale on Major Gift Millions. Uh, Outside of the launch that I did, this is the most significant sale I've ever done. If you've ever wanted to get in the course, now is the time to do it. If you go to onevisitaway.com slash millions, when you go to checkout, put in the coupon code TWINS at checkout, and that will apply the discount. I updated everything, so the sale is good through the end of this week. Uh, It's March, I think, 10th at 5 p.m., whatever Friday is. That's the end of the sale. So if you missed out on it, you can still get in. Go check it out now. This is everything I teach my coaching clients clients on how to succeed at major gifts. If you've ever wanted to get in this course, now is the time to do it. As always, there is a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can enroll now at the discounted price. Go through the whole course. If it isn't transformative, just ask for a refund within 30 days, and it's yours, no questions asked. So go to onevisitaway.com slash millions or click the link in the uh, notes section of this podcast episode, use the code TWINS at checkout and get enrolled today. I look forward to seeing you in the course. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. If you haven't done it already, I really think you should check out MarketSmart's new white paper titled Fundraising Automation, the Nonprofit Leader's Guide to Optimizing Operations. Here's why. You probably have plenty of prospects identified, more than enough for each gift officer. But while these folks might have capacity and affinity, according to prospect research, in most cases, they're not ready to meet with your staff. You know this is true when you reach out and they don't engage and answer your calls or emails. That's why you need to read this white paper. It will help you understand how you can warm up your identified prospects so they pre-qualify themselves for your outreach. That way, your staff will stay more focused, working with the major donor prospects who said they are ready while automating cultivation for the rest until they signal that they're ready. Think of it like this. With fundraising automation, you're basically adding a helper to your team who works 24-7 and never takes vacations. One who knows exactly what to say to help people move themselves forward so they lean in and even raise their hands or set an appointment with a gift officer entirely on their own. This white paper will help you understand how you can deliver this kind of truly donor-centric cultivation automatically so you won't have to hire more staff. Instead, you'll optimize the great people you've already got and raise more money more efficiently. Download the free white paper on fundraising automation from MarketSmart now at imarketsmart.com slash optimize to learn all you need to know so you can decide whether to build an automated cultivation system on your own or you might want to avoid that headache and get MarketSmart to do it for you in a matter of weeks. Either way, I urge you to check out this free report at imarketsmart.com slash optimize. Hey everybody, welcome back to the One Visit Away podcast. I'm excited to tell you about this episode's guest, but before we get there, I want to remind you, as always, if you enjoy my content, go check out my course, Major Gift Millions. You can learn more at onevisitaway.com slash millions. It's 40 plus video lessons of everything I believe you need to know to be successful at Major Gifts. Go check that out. I'll leave a link in the notes section of this podcast episode. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this great conversation with Jenny Craig. She is a senior director of philanthropy at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. She's also one of the founding members of my course, 
Major Gift Millions, and uh, it's been great getting to know her over the past year or so, and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with Jenny. By the way, um, right after we recorded this, she told me that she's working on a resource to help people with the uh, affinity programs that she talks about in this episode. So if she has sent me that resource by the time this airs, I'll put a link to it in the notes section of this podcast episode. And if not, you can always connect with her, uh, Jenny Craig, J-E-N-N-I, on LinkedIn, and I'll leave a link to uh, that as well so you can get in touch with her there. But thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Jenny Craig. Well, welcome to the One Visit Away podcast, Jenny. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's great to be here. Yeah. So if you could just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I've got about 15 and a half years of experience in higher education. I started out in marketing and then quickly transitioned into athletics, uh, where I spent about 10 years doing season tickets and sponsorships and galas, you know, all the things that athletics is good at. And <laughs> and then about three and a half years ago, I made the transition into philanthropy, into fundraising. So, and I love it. On a personal um, side, I'm a wife and a mom of three beautiful little girls, brilliant, smart, fun little girls. They keep life interesting, as you know. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's awesome. And you've also got, you and your husband have a business as well. We, we do. We've got Copper Bottom Craft Distillery. We are a craft distillery right here in Daytona Beach. We make award-winning, I have to say that, award-winning rum and vodka. And we also just started making gin too. And you can order online, you know. Yeah, I've checked out <laughs> y'all's website. It's on my list of uh, of things to do is to acquire some. So. We can we can ship it right to your door. I'm sure we can make that happen for you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, this is this is fun. So you and I got connected maybe a couple years ago or something. It feels uh, like it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, I've been and uh, along. yeah, you've been a fan of the podcast, and we've interacted on LinkedIn, and you've also. Uh, I think you were one of the founding members of Major Gift Millions. I kept my thank you note from you. Is that okay? Silly? <laughs> no, no. Okay, so it's funny because no one uh, people write handwritten thank you notes so infrequently. So I have most of the ones I've ever been given as well. Uh, That's so funny. Life. I I usually don't keep them, but you, I've learned so much from you and from the course, and you know just. The podcast, obviously, um, LinkedIn especially, and um, and it just meant something to me. And and as soon as I got this note in the mail, I'm like, who's this from? And it looked like a dude's handwriting, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it terrible. And, <laughs> and it was, no, no, no. Seeing it was from you, I'm like, dang it, he's so good, you know? <laughs> dang it. <laughs> that was my yeah, first Yeah, so that class. was... Of course he did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure... I think that was actually my mom's idea, was like for the the founding members she was like you should do something special for Aww. them and i was i think it was her idea but yeah. whosever idea it was it was a good one and uh you followed through and you delivered so thank you that was meaningful yeah so that's and awesome then, and then i thoroughly enjoyed the course hmm. and i tell everybody <laughs> yeah that's awesome so what were what were some of your uh your big takeaways from the course oh gosh um you what I love is that uh, you super break it down. So I, I, I even wrote in the um, um, in the testimonials, I said, you know, even if you're a seasoned fundraiser, you're still going to pick up little things that it's like, oh, why have I been doing it this way for so long? There's such a simpler, more effective way. Or if you were new to the fundraising industry, um, then you, it's like gold. It's gold. It's just sit there with your notepad and pen and take notes and and then and then start acting on it. Um, even something as simple as, you know, picking up the phone and knowing what to say when, when, oh my gosh, they answered, you know, <laughs> it's so smart. <laughs> well, I was planning to leave a voicemail and you actually picked up the phone. Um, so, you know, knowing, like having it in your back pocket of exactly what you're going to say in those moments, it's just being so prepared for the situations in major gift fundraising. I felt, I felt it was a great course. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, that's awesome. So one of the things, so in the podcast, you wanted to share one of the things unique about your role is at, and you work at 
Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, if I have the full name. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things you've been focused on is kind of like uh, giving societies, right? Yes. And that's what you've got to to hit us with today. So I'll just open the floor. I do. So about three and a half years ago, I came across a job description for a director of philanthropy councils. And I was Mm. like, what the heck is a philanthropy council? And as I was reading through the job description, which it wasn't something that had been done at the university before. So um, it was just kind of a general idea, a direction of like, hey, we saw this somewhere and we want to do it here. Um, We just need somebody to come run it. I knew, you know, from the season ticket background and, and, you know, building affinities within athletics, um, that this was certainly something that I could do. So, you know, spoiler alert, I launched the very first program in January of 2020 and present day, you know, February, 2023, we're, we're getting close to 2 million. Um, and that is in uh, fundraising or memberships. So member, you know, members join and they commit contributions um, for these affinity programs. And then we've seen over a million dollars in additional funds come in through yeah. estate gifts and scholarship endowments. And, you know, just folks who, you know, got, got really, um, you know, they really dug into their affinities and they were able to, you know, find, find areas to give more. So mm. it's, it's been a wild ride, but, um, you know, for building affinity and trying to create a culture of philanthropy where there isn't a really strong one with our university, the councils and, you know, our affinity programs have hit it out of the park. Yeah. So how do you, um, yeah, I guess to just start with, what have you found to be so successful about those? Uh, why do they work? What seems to resonate with the donor? That kind of thing. Gosh. Okay. So let's see. Um, when I first came in, it was it was a um, kind of you know exploring where are annual giving donors giving already? Like where are they already showing strong affinities or where do we have a strong pool of people that may be willing to contribute more and come in at a mid-level donor level? Mm -hmm. Um, Like where can we stretch annual fund donors? And so identifying those areas of affinity within the university, um, you know, and then building programs around it. So our programs, I like to think of them as, you know, it's almost a major gift approach scaled because, you know, if you've got 100 members, you can't give them all major gift attention, but you are talking to them in small groups. So it feels more personal. And that I think has really resonated with members. We've got now close to, I don't know, 145, 150 um, in the three years. And we've got <clears throat> 10 or 11 different affinity programs. And, you know, it ranges anywhere from, you know, we're a strong STEM school. So supporting female students in STEM Mm. um, to, you know, the College of Aviation to athletics. It's just Mm. building building affinity programs around around the areas that are, you know, most interesting to donors. It's the engagement. It is the engagement that really draws them in. So for, you know, we've been able to build out the program now. It's not just a one person team anymore running it. And, you know, we need for every single affinity program, we need a communications plan. We need a stewardship plan and we need a cultivation plan because we're bringing them in at mid-level donor status. But what we're seeing is they can do, they have the capacity to do so much more. And when you really find that area of affinity, then they're just blossoming as donors. Um, and so it's the engagement and it doesn't have to be, you know, major gift kind of attention, but I do have a 12 month, you know, once a month, there is a touch point and it could be something as simple as, you know, sending out the meeting invite for next month's meeting. That's a touch point, you know, or sending, you know, the university does an alumni magazine. That's a touch point for another month. You know, it doesn't have to be overly involved. Uh, what we do commit to with our affinity members is two virtual meetings a year. So one in the fall, one in the spring, and then we invite them to campus once a year. Hmm. So that's what we're committed to. And everything above that, I think is, you know, additionally what brings them in really engages them. Yeah, that's amazing. And I would argue that that's, so, you know, you're saying like, it's, it's not quite major gift level of attention, what you're doing is 10 times more than what most people do with with people in their portfolio. And I think 
people that work at universities or like large organizations have a like a skewed sense of what uh success in major gifts looks like because generally speaking y'all have some sort of system there's usually people who have been doing it for a while there's some level of investment in training um but like most organizations they just have no idea what they're mm. doing and so like the the major gift relationship at most organizations looks like uh we invite them to our annual event and then we send them a letter at the end of the year saying hey you gave us $10,000 last year what do you say about this year that that's that what hurts yeah. my heart that that's right. the case that hurts yeah like those donors they want to be engaged what i've noticed is so three and a half years now, they pretty much fall into one of these three areas. So 25% of your total donors that are involved in these affinity programs, and you may see this with major gifts uh, donors too, but 25% are here for it. When the door is open, they are there. If you're asking for more, if you're showing them more opportunities where they can get involved, they're doing it. They are your nearest major gift prospects, that 25%. Then you've got 50% of the members, which can kind of go either way. They're either going to become more involved because you hit on something they really care about, or over time, they're going to become less involved. Um, and then that leaves the, the last quarter, the last 25%, where you know they're going to commit to their term. We do multi-year terms. Mm -hmm. They're going to commit to it, and they're probably not going to renew. They'll probably go back down to annual fund status. Um, but you know that's that's yeah. just part of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a... It's been so fruitful and there's so many stories that I could share about, you know, I've got one person right off the top of my head who, you know, I reached out to one of my colleagues who was, you know, managing him as a major gift prospect. And she said, oh, don't bother reaching out to him because he already said he's not going to give any more to the university. He's already given everything he's going to give. And I said, but, you know, he's got consistent giving, even though it was, you know, annual fund level, but it was consistent. No one was asking him to do it. He was just doing it anyway. And those are like the best prospects ever. Like no one's asking them to write a hundred dollars check every year, but they're doing it. So what would they do if we asked, you know? Um, so anyway, she said, you know, you can try, but I don't think he's going to join. He committed on the spot. Uh, we, we asked for a $6,000 pledge. We do $2,000 a year for three years. So he committed on the spot by the end of the second year. Um, I mean, I'm telling you, he's on campus. Like, it feels like I'm looking at him as a college kid again. Like he's like, you know, going to meet with the Dean and he's talking to different students, you know, for that one time a year where we invite them to campus, you know, as a group. Um, and he was just so involved and invested by year two, he committed, um, a half million dollar gift from his estate. By the end of year two. <laughs> yes. And by the end of year three, it was actually three weeks ago, um, we got a sign for a $50,000 scholarship endowment. Wow. So, and, and, and I pulled him aside, in fact, and just said, you know, like, obviously, I want a feather in my cap that it was, <laughs> it was the yeah. affinity programs that really did it for him. And he said, you know, I may have done, you know, a portion of my estate because it was my alma mater. I may have done that eventually, but this certainly picked up this pace, you know, on that. And then the scholarship was absolutely because I'm just enamored with what the university is doing. So it's just, it's seeing so many stories like that over and over where it's, they barely gave anything and now, oh man, they are in. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And one of my, one of my favorite things about the story highlights a point I was just talking to one of my coaching clients about is this idea that we're terrible judges of like a donor's inclination or what their capacity is, or, you know, we think we're really good at it. Like, like whoever was telling you, Oh, they're given at their capacity. They're not going to do anything more. Th they had good reasons to believe that. And I've done this. I've done this so many times before where I was like, Oh, that person, they can't give anything else. They don't really care about us. It's not that big of a priority. And then like this happened with me when I left my, the organization I used to work for new guy comes in, visits with these people. First visit, they give a gift like 10 times bigger than, you know, anything I'd ever been a part of. And it's just, the point is, is like, 
one as people who if we're the person who had the relationship don't don't tell the new gift officer what you think about it like it's it's not helpful and then two if you are the gift officer one of my rules is like if you didn't hear it from the donor themselves it's not true because so many things like this happen where like who knows what they're going to do i was going to say the the three things um that i've really like come to believe strongly about affinity programs is first of all like deepening the affinity for the organization whether it's a university or a small nonprofit or whatever it is just more engagement is going to equal ambassadors and i think that you know you're you're less likely to cultivate ambassadors from annual fund level and maybe even from a major gift level i don't know how many major gift donors are like hey i just gave this and you should do it too but you know if they're joining at that mid level range where everybody's kind of buddies and everybody's coming to the same thing and they're all participating then it's like hey why don't you do this or join in you know so it just deepens the affinity yeah. for the organization and they're quicker to bring others in and then secondly, I feel like we shouldn't talk about revenue in a world, uh, you know, around philanthropy. But when you know, you know, if you've got 10 members who have committed to $2,000 a year for the next three years, you know that you've got $20,000 coming in for the next three years. And you can plan around that. You can budget for that. That's, yeah. you know, to some organizations, that's a huge deal. Um, and then <clears throat> finally, they are the pipeline for major gift donors. I, I feel like show me your strategy for your mid-level donors and then I'll show you the future of your major gift prospects. Hmm. You know, that it it just is. And it's that 25% that, that you can look to as, you know, most likely going to do something more. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, okay, so we've talked about what it does for the donor having these affinity programs. But what does it do for you? Have you thought about that much? I have actually been doing, um, well, what do you mean? Do you mean me personally or for the organization? I mean you personally. Like, let me give you a little more, a little more context so that my question doesn't seem so random. <laughs> but a lot of organizations, like when you came in to this role, it was, it was advertised like this is to build affinity programs. And you had a very, and maybe you created exactly what the affinity program looks like or somebody else did, but whatever the case, you had a very clear, this is what participation looks like in the affinity program, whether or not you created it or someone <clears throat> else did, it gave you like the, the clear path to success. Whereas many organizations will just say something like we're hiring a director of development and we want them to raise money go <laughs> and like that's literally the level of uh direction that they're given like how much money i don't know uh who should you go talk to i don't know like th this seems very specific which in my mind would make it a lot easier for you to like hit the ground running and know exactly what you need to do. It wasn't though. Like the job description was vague. Okay. It was, it was, I, we saw this somewhere and, and this is how it worked there. And, and we need it here. <laughs> okay. And so it was because I had institutional knowledge. I, you know, been there <clears throat> in my previous role for a few years. So I knew like where the areas of affinity were most likely to be. So I, I feel like I brought a lot to the table, but there wasn't direction. And also, this is a very engaged group. This is this is this is not just like hanging up a shingle and saying it's a giving circle, contribute your money, and we'll let you know at the end of the year how we spent it. Like the way that we have ours structured is 50% go to scholarships and 50% go to fund needs within this area. Say it's you know a college. But the council, what we call council members, their affinity group members, they decide what gets funded. So it's engaging. It's not just contributing and walking away. And it was creating that. It's coming up with, you know, where are we going to get these proposals from to even know what could be funded? You know, was, I mean, it was ground floor, if not below earth. 
<laughs> trying to dig myself out and, and figure out how to make it work. Um, yeah. I, so, but are all, are all of them, uh, $2,000 a year for, for three years or are there no, like so different We branched out? I wish I could show you my donor pyramid right now. Cause I've got yeah, one yeah. of those. <laughs> so now we've expanded to have giving circles. So instead of 2000 a year, they're committing a thousand dollars a year. Um, and we're also expanding upwards, uh, and it's a moves management program, right? So moving them upwards as well, where it's $5,000 a year, and they're having a larger impact and more engagement with administration and, and things like that. Um, so we're we're seeing what else can work now that we know the council level is effective. Yeah, cool. I go back to your question. I want to know what you meant with like, what has it done for me or? One of the reasons people struggle to raise money is from lack of clarity. And it sounds like you, like you provided the clarity um, in your role, but the clarity was there nonetheless. So, so like, let, let me, let me try to think of. Hold example. on. I think I know what you're saying. So someone unkind said to me about a year and a half in the only reason you're having so much success is because you're inviting people to join your cool club. And it was kind of like demeaning, like they obviously, you know, felt threatened or whatever the case was. But I feel like that's kind of what you're getting at, too. It was like it was something to be part of. Right. Is that what you're getting at? It's it's that and that it's just something specific. So uh, let me let me be you and I'm going to create I have been hired to take over this this affinity program. And if I wanted to make it a total disaster, I probably would have done something like this. I would say, all right, we're going to start this affinity program. To start off, we're going to make uh, 25 different categories that someone could get involved in. Like, we're going to make it super complicated. And so, you know, there's all these different areas they could be involved with in the school. And then instead of just having one option which is $2,000 a year for three years, we're going to make 10 options. We want to give people the choice of like, You have to stop. This is terrible. <laughs> right. But but this is... My, my point is, is that lack of focus is what causes uh, fundraisers to fail and I think like business owners to fail. It's like, like with, you know... Uh, with copper bottom distillery, it's like if you would have started with, "Hey, we make uh, we make vodka, we also make beer, we make rum, we make sparkling water, and we also serve, uh, you know, we make our own organic dog treats, and we're trying to bring in that." Like, th there's no focus, so no one knows is this for me because it seems to be for everyone, and putting parameters around what does it look like to enter into this program like it helps the it helps the donor for sure but it also makes it very clear what you need to do because it's mm -hmm. like i got this one program it's two thousand dollars a year for three years um and i need to go talk to these kind of people and you probably also had you probably wrote down goals around like this is how many people i want to have in here by this period of time. And then you just started doing some math of, I got to go talk to this many people and I got to go like you had a clear path to success because you, you created it. I would say. Yeah. I, I see where you're going with that. And I don't, I don't disagree. I certainly failed along the way. Like I'd rather not go into some of those, but, <laughs> um, and then there were some, some, you know, affinity programs that we tried to start that really never got going. And so then we had to pivot, you know, so, uh, but yeah, you're exactly right. And, and my goal was to keep it intimate. Like I said, scale the major gift engagement, if we can, if that can be done with these mid-level donors. And so every single council or affinity program is capped at 20 members. We're not going over 20. Hmm. Um, that was another thing. And so then, okay, you know, this one's full or this one's up and running. Let's move on to the next one. Let's kick off the mm. next one. And so the goal every year, first year goal is, you know, looking at a potential area of affinity. Do you think that there are five to seven members that we can bring in without 
totally ripping our hair out trying, um, you know, and, and if so, then let's go ahead and give it a shot. Let's start running with. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Um, yeah. So I guess it kind of comes back to my, my belief that the greatest fundraisers are obsessed and the only way you can be obsessed is if you know what you're aiming for. And this to me just seems very clearly defined. Uh, and it's, it's putting you on, on the right path. And I love the, <laughs> I love the comment from the hater. The only reason you're think so successful is because they want to join your cool club. Great. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, how is that a, how is that a, an insult it's like yeah like we want to design things that people want to participate in right and right and so some some thought that i would have a difficult time because it's more central philanthropy than you know tied i'm not within any particular area Hmm. on campus i'm just central but oh one thing i was going to say is you know when you were giving your example of what not to do here are 25 areas that you can join we don't do that at all our outreach is, mm. you know, whether it's based on their career or the college they graduated from or where they've been contributing all along, we would like for you to j- consider joining this program. No other option. They don't even know what else is out there. Like, we want you for this. We value your expertise, your insight, your experience. We think you'll be valuable right here. Yeah, I think clarity is the key to success. If you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Sorry. laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, if you gave some of the menu of options to study for three months, they would never make a decision because it's <laughs> right, too exactly. much information. Yep. And I was I had a um, meeting last week. I was talking with some folks from the Humane Society because I like firmly believe this is so transferable. I, I keep saying the university, but outside of the university setting, I was, you know, with them, I said, do you know who your donors are that loves cats versus the one that versus the ones that love dogs versus the one that ones that love bunnies, you know, and what's the answer to that. Um, And then you can even go more niche than that. It's, you know, what about the folks that want to see more animal rescues? Do you think you can rally some people behind that? You know, you can get so particular with your real needs of organization. It would be hard to be like, help us keep our lights on and join our program. That's not a thing. No one's going to rally for that. I mean, sure. They want you around, but you know, to really deepen affinity, it has to be the area that they are super into. And yeah. that's what's going to create more. Yeah. What's another, what's another story of, uh, an interesting, uh, thing that happened once you started reaching out to somebody, you know, I learned, I, I'll, I'll give you a failure story real quick. And Dude. this, this, I learned in the Kevin course. I mean, I, I knew immediately what I'd done wrong, but it was reinforced mm. through your course. <laughs> Uh, through the One Visit Away course, uh, I reached out to somebody. He was a consistent donor, um, like I would say like lead annual giving even, you know, probably a thousand or fifteen hundred annually. And so I reached out to just say thank you, like Mm -hmm. genuinely thank you. If the conversation led to more, you know, then great. But honestly, thank you. And and on, and even I didn't really have a program that I thought he would be interested in anyway. I hadn't come across the niche that he was, you know, kind of contributing to. So anyway, I reached out to him. We had a great conversation. We probably talked like 30 or 45 minutes. He's telling me about his kids, this and that. Da, 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 da. And then I go to get off the phone with him. Just wanted to thank you again. And he's like, no, really? Why did you reach out? And I was like, no, truly. I just I remember yeah. feeling defensive. No, truly. I really I yeah. just wanted to say thank you. And he said, you're sure you're not, you're not doing something else. You don't want to tell me about something. And I was like, well, I mean, if you're opening the door, then sure. I'll tell you about, we have this council program going on and it's this and this and this and Mm -hmm. that. And so I'm geeked about it because, you know, it was pretty new at the time. And that dude, let me have it. Mm -hmm. He, it was, it felt like a bait and switch to him. Um, And it was. It was like mortifying on my end because yeah. I was it, it. I came from such a sincere place, right? But the lesson for me was, which you, like I said, reinforced, was, um, you know, set up a time to have the discussion. Don't try to do everything at once, and that that I learned the very hard way. And that one, it took me a little while to shake off because, like I said, we had a great conversation up to that point. But I don't know. Is is that a <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> great example of what not to do. <laughs> no, it's amazing. And it's, yeah, I love that you shared that for a couple reasons. One, we've all been there. <laughs> uh, anyone who hasn't been there uh, isn't actually talking to humans. They just send out emails. Um, not that there's anything wrong with sending emails, but like if you're doing major gifts or having real conversations with your donors, you're going to screw things up. So that's totally normal. And yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, the the key is, is like when you call someone to say thank you, it's got to just be that. Because like you experienced... If you add something else in there, even if they're like, he was the one that was pushing for it. Like you, you weren't planning on it, but now he does feel like, oh, this is what she was doing all along. Like she didn't, she didn't call just to thank me. She wanted to just get to my money kind of thing. And so, so that happens. I would, I also think it's good that he told you that he didn't like it. I think that's great. I think a lot of times the, the worst thing is that he's upset by it and he just doesn't say anything. You know, you ask him, hey, if he wants to join the council and he just says, yeah, I'll think about it. And then he hangs up the phone but has zero intention of ever communicating with you and you'll never know what's going on. So now the question that I'll ask you, and we don't necessarily have to leave this in, have you reached out to him since then? I have not. I've actually been meaning to go back and see if he's continued his giving because that would be like the worst. It's like, I don't want to look, I don't want to know, but it comes across my mind every once in a while, you know, like, did I ruin him from the whole organization? And I'd like to think that one little phone call didn't have that impact, but people are different to him. That may have been the case. So I need to go back and look. I'm glad I don't have the answer for you right now. <laughs> yeah, you need to. Well, so I, I don't care if he stopped or if he kept giving, but you need to reach out to him again. Is he local or is no. he elsewhere? No, he is elsewhere. Well, I would go elsewhere and I would tell him, I would tell him, <laughs> I would write him a handwritten note, maybe going back to handwritten notes. I would, or call him whatever might start with the note. I would apologize for uh, what you did. I would tell him how like, <laughs> yeah, I would just apologize. I wouldn't make I any excuses. I already did apologize. Okay, Kevin, I did apologize. It was not a handwritten note. It was an email. <laughs> it okay. was an email, but I was mortified and I never wanted to think about it again. <laughs> so I would, but, but I'm saying like, I would lean into it. I would write him the handwritten note, apologize, tell him, you would like to visit with him in person if he's open to it. You will not, under any circumstance, ask him for a gift, but you would like to uh, try to repair the relationship. And and the, the reason I'm telling you to do this is because I guarantee you this has happened to him before. Like, if anybody has been involved in giving, they've had negative experiences with fundraisers and I almost because he was asking sometimes like, are you sure is there something else makes me wonder like has this specific thing happened to him and that's why he was kind of touchy about it and I can guarantee you everyone else he's had some kind of reaction like this has never contacted him again and so if you can be the one to step into that awkwardness and just be like, yeah, I screwed up. That doesn't mean uh, you have to hate me for the rest of time. Obviously you wouldn't say that, but it's like, if you can be that person that willingly steps into the lion's den, like he knows you're afraid of him. Like he knows that he knows you feel bad. And so, if, but if you can push through that, he'll be like, wow, this person is special. I cannot back down from a challenge, so I accept the challenge. I'm not happy about it, but I accept <laughs> it, and I will report back. Good. I love it, because if you can, this is what separates the great fundraisers from everybody else, is are you willing to do the most uncomfortable thing? 
or do you just do the stuff that's easy? Because if you can do this, you can do anything. Challenge accepted. So there is your challenge. And that's the challenge for everyone listening is do the uncomfortable thing. Because like we talked about earlier in the podcast, we're terrible we're terrible judges of someone, like what they're thinking, what's really going on. You feel bad because it was like your fault, kinda. But you don't know you don't know what he's thinking. You don't you don't know what's going on in his mind. So we just need to we need to set the stage to go find out and uh great things will will happen from here. I'll I'll share with you and everyone else on the podcast. I think I've told this story before, but I I got a visit with one of at the time one of the largest donors to the organization I was working for. He gave like 10,000 a year. And this was like almost a decade ago, but I got a visit scheduled with him. It took me like 10 months or something. And I was like, man, this is my one shot. It took me all this time to get in front of this guy. I go into the visit and he's a, you know, I'm like 22 at the time. He's, you know, 60 plus years old, really successful career in, you know, various, uh, various arenas sitting in this, it's like one of the most expensive pieces of real estate in Dallas. And we're sitting in his office and he's giving me some advice with this vast, you know, level of experience. He tells me, you know, Kevin, uh, people don't like getting asked for money. Now I disagree with him on this, but that's okay. He's telling me people don't like getting asked for money. He's like, me especially, I do not like getting asked for money, like especially on a first visit. Now, he's telling me this. I went into the visit thinking, this is my one shot. I got to ask him for this gift. And I was going to ask him for a $25,000 gift. So he tells me this. We have a great visit. Phenomenal visit. He starts talking about... I started telling him about a particular program that was about $750,000 a year, just as not to ask him for it, but just as a sharing something. And he told me, you know, Kevin, if my business continues to do how it has been and where I think it'll go, I hope to be able to give gifts of that size to you guys. He tells me this phenomenal visit. It's wrapping up like we're leaving. He's like signaling for me to leave. And I say, Bob, is there one more thing I could tell you about? <laughs> and he goes, sure. And then I ask him for the $25,000 gift. It was horrible. It was everyone hated it. Like, I think the people outside of the building threw up. And and he said he'd think about it. And of course, he did not give the gift. And years later, he wound up giving it at that level and more. But but the thing was, is that I should have done this earlier, but it was like a couple years later I visited with him and, you know, now I had more experience under my belt and we were having lunch and I reminded him of our first visit and the advice he gave me and how he said he didn't like getting asked for money on the first visit. And, I, you know, I told him how I screwed up and I just apologized and I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And we had a great we had a great, you know, connection there and way stronger relationship moving forward. That hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like cringing with everyone who's listening. Like we're all just cringing right now. Like, oh, Kevin. I know. It's horrible. Now, in in my defense, <laughs> this is this is the logic I was using to what made this acceptable is I was like, well, when he says he doesn't like getting asked for a gift on a first visit, he means like a first visit from the organization. Like, you know, this is, he's been given to us for years. This is a, a different thing. No. And because at, at the end of the day, what it comes down to, and this is what my post was about today, is I went into that visit thinking, what can I get out of this? Rather than how can I serve this person well? And when you do the, what can I get out of this? Things are horrible. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
as as we've seen. <laughs> Yours and my example. Oh. Yes. But but look at all the good you've done. Look how far you've come. <laughs> he writes me a letter every year saying, Kevin, I hate you. You're the worst thing that's ever happened. He tried <laughs> My question no. my question is you said he went on to do more for the organization. Were you still like primary managing him? Mm-hmm. Okay, so somehow you redeemed yourself in his eyes to the point where it was appropriate to ask for a gift. Right, yeah. And there's a couple things I would say. One thing is that you can pretty much overcome any one mistake. And then the other point is people expect crappy experiences from their gift officers. Like... That's why I'm telling you, like, no one's ever done this before with this guy. Because n- n- few people few people do any of the things you've done with your council members in the first place. And so to, like, people expect crappy relationships. And so this guy hasn't thought about what you did for more than 60 seconds. You think about it every time you see his name or like once a week or something, but he doesn't, this is just normal to him. So I I think this guy, he didn't have high expectations of what I was going to bring to the table. (laughs) So you started real low and then you just worked your way out of the pit and there you go. Exactly. (laughs) Let it be a lesson to all of us. Just, just go ahead and blunder the first time, whatever it is. (laughs) <laughs> too real bad right out of well it's like it, it's one of the things grant cardone says is that there's no one thing you can do to blow a deal it's the things that you don't do it's like this is a perfect example the one thing you did of i made a mistake i hurt his feelings he thought it was a bait and switch that didn't blow the deal. The fact that you're not doing the things, you're not reaching out to him again, you're not apologizing, that's what blows the deal. It's not the things you actively did. It's the things, like we never do anything that makes the person go, I hate you so much, I will never talk to you again. I hope the organization burns to the ground. That doesn't happen. We just feel embarrassed and then stop talking to people. Hmm. Yeah. Um, back when I was in athletics, I was the one on the microphone making people do silly things at half, half court, you know, blindfolded, <laughs> whatever, put, put ball all the way down the court, whatever. And I always called it like the folks that I was training to do the same work. I would call it the Melissa McCarthy factor. Like mm. she's amazing comedian. And I said, you know, she would sacrifice life and limb for the sake of the laugh, like for the audience, you know, she will literally physically hurt herself in order to get the laugh. And I feel that way in this role too, like exactly what you're saying, you have to be willing to humbly come back. Now a couple of years has gone by, maybe that's too long in some people's eyes, but, and, and see if there is a redemption story there, but being uncomfortable or getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, you know, all that. The, the Melissa McCarthy factor willing to sacrifice it all for the good of, you know, what's to come potentially. Yeah. Tough lesson. <laughs> Do it. So, yeah. So you'll reach out to him and then next time you'll come on the podcast and Fine. tell your story of triumph. <clears throat> In the meantime, before we run out of time, what's one more, what's one more success story? Something awesome. You one can more people success with. story. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, someone just immediately came to mind. I adore him. He uh, is retired military and alum from the university. And, um, and he actually post-military suffered a traumatic brain injury. And so um, there's all kinds of things that came with that, you know, PTSD and just, just he's, he's had it rough. And uh, anyway, you know, he had been giving a very small annual giving amount, you know, consecutive years. And so one day I reached out to him and, um, and we had, such a great call. So my, my step, my strategy for this, if it matters is I usually reach out with an email asking them to consider joining a particular affinity program. And then I include an attachment. So it's got all the details in there. They know what they would be signing up for if they agree to it. It's not, I'm not going to spring it on them on the phone call out of nowhere. Um, They've got the information to accept a phone call basically. Mm -hmm. 
And so anyway, um, he, he, you know, we scheduled the call and he's telling me about, you know, what he's been through. And I mean, we're both just absolutely mm-hmm. sobbing. It was like, it was the only time that I was truly like really brought to tears um, on this phone call with this donor. And so needless to say, he joined. And then, um, and I was actually recently looking at his consecutive giving prior to joining the affinity program. And it was 1600 over the previous five years. Hmm. So he committed, you know, 6,000 over the next three years. Um, and just like the first gentleman that I was talking about, you know, after probably a year and a half, um, he wanted to start his own scholarship, and he was also really moved by this particular um, faculty group, and he wanted to provide them with resources to go to conferences, you know, that would impact students long term, which, you know, he really cares about impacting the lives of faculty to then impact students or, you know, con- continuing education. Um, but anyway, so he went on to do a $50,000 endowed scholarship, and then he contributed $5,000 to the um to the uh, faculty and then a little bit of more time goes by and, you know, I have these life insurance policies. I haven't really taken a look at in a while. Would you guys be interested? Well, yes. <laughs> so we're just, you know, he, he's just, uh, and he, what I love about him is I always tell him he brings so much heart to those virtual meetings and, you know, the in-person meeting they referred to earlier, what we do with the, the councils, he brings so much heart to them. He's not bringing his amazing background expertise, but he brings insight and, and kind of reminds us of what the purpose is, why we're all there, why the donors are there. Um, and so he was kind of, you know, out of left field because he wasn't really, you know, still in the game anymore as far as the industry is concerned. But but he's brought so much more, you know, not just philanthropically, but, you know, emotionally and mentally to to what it is because he's getting so much out of it. So I hope that makes sense. But he's just so engaged that um, that he's one of the first people to come to mind. Yeah. That's incredible. So one of my key takeaways as we kind of get ready to close up here is get yourself an affinity program or something that gives you a reason to get in touch with these donors because there's way more they can provide and there's way more they can be fulfilled with if we just have the, the courage to reach out and start that conversation. Well, Jenny, this has been amazing. Any uh, final thoughts or words you'd like to share with the millions who will listen to this? Minus um, a couple million. I was, I was like, really? Millions? You didn't say that. <laughs> um, final words or thoughts. I will say that I, like looking back at the 10 years I spent in athletics, I never thought, it was very bittersweet leaving that industry. I never thought that I would find another Um, industry that I could love as much. And then I discovered, you know, fundraising and specifically building these affinity groups and really engaging these folks and really finding meaningful ways to connect them with the organization. This is my life's work. Like I'm, I'm just beyond happy. Mm -hmm. I beam talking about it. I love it. So highly amazing. So great. Well, Jenny, Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast and look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Great to be here. That was Jenny Craig with Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And as always, go check out my course, Major Gift Millions. You can find out more at onevisitaway.com slash millions or feel free to send me an email, kevin at onevisitaway.com if you'd like to learn more. But thanks so much for listening. I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization.